Welcome back to episode 44 of North Star Big Book. This is how to take someone through the first three steps. We're going to have this probably in three different parts. This is part two. We're on page 21. So if you're sitting with someone right now, I'm just going to keep going. So page 21. There's, we're going to identify three types of drinkers. Um, the book is constantly trying to do that, and I want to identify that for you. It is not my... Um, I'm not allowed to tell someone they're an alcoholic. The book suggests that many, many times that someone should figure that out for themselves. So one of my responsibilities today in this moment is for the new person or the person coming back to identify if they're real alcoholic. If they just say, yes, I am, that's great, um, but I'm not able to go on until they understand what alcoholism is. It's my responsibility to explain that. So there's three types of drinkers. On the bottom of 20, it tells me there's a moderate drinker. They're the people who could take it or leave it alone. I've never met a moderate drinker in Alcoholics Anonymous unless they were here um, in like um, guide, you know, like they were in social work and they came because they had to go to a meeting um, to learn about Alcoholics Anonymous or they were a family member. So I'm not a real, I'm not um, a moderate drinker. I could never take it or leave it alone. Number two on the way bottom of 20 says a hard drinker. So the hard drinker, it says um, he may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. Here's the deal. A hard drinker, this is what it says, if a sufficiently strong reason, and here's the reasons, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate. So here's the deal. Picture me and Sarah, and we're up in front of the judge for the second time for our second DUI. And she's a hard drinker and I'm a real alcoholic. We both got a DUI twice. We both are a mess. And the judge says to us, the judge says, she says, I'm sick of seeing you two drunks in here. If I ever see you in here again, you're going directly to prison. You're going to lose your license forever. And you're going to go to prison for three years. She doesn't care what kind of drinker I am. So Sarah and I both look at each other and we're freaking out. We both make a decision within ourselves. We both decide we're no longer going to drink and drive. Neither of us is willing to give up drinking. She's a hard drinker. I'm a real alcoholic. We both make a decision. We're just not going to drink and drive. We go back to our houses. Sarah goes home. She gives her keys to her friend. They go out that night and drink. And Sarah does not drink or drive anymore because she doesn't want to lose her freedom. I go home to my boyfriend, I give him my keys, and I tell him, no matter what, don't give them to me. We go to a bar that night, um, I'm drinking, I've had like seven shots, I see him look at a girl the way I don't like him looking at a girl, I grab the keys from him, we wrestle at the bar, we get thrown out under the street, he tells me he's not allowed to give me the keys, I swear to him and call him mean names and kick him, and I take my keys and I leave and I go drunk driving because it doesn't matter the promise I made, once alcohol is in my body, I no longer can make any other decisions. A real alcoholic cannot choose to stop drinking or choose to moderate and stay that way. A hard drinker can moderate or stop given a sufficient reason. Whether it's a relationship threat, a health threat, a freedom threat, a job threat, a family threat, a real alcoholic cannot stop or moderate and stay that way given a good reason. And here's number three, the real alcoholic. But what about the real alcoholic? And this person, it says, he may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. At some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. So I'm going to ask you, did you lose control once you started to drink? It doesn't say every time, but were there times when you put alcohol in your body that you did not get to control how much you were drinking that night? And the other question I want to ask 
is given a really good reason, were you able to stay stopped or stay moderated? Okay, so that's one way to identify if we're an alcoholic or not. We're going to go to page 24 at the top. And it says, at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. The reason why is because we don't have a mental defense. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons that we can't see that are obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. So once alcohol is in our body, we cannot choose it. When it's not in our body, our mind is so overdriven by the mental obsession that we only hear that thought that we need to pick up a drink. Our so-called willpower, whenever they talk about willpower in this book, they're talking about our thinking. Were you able to think your way out of it? I was always able to think my way out of any situation except for alcohol. It has become practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with the sufficient force, which is enough force, the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. So my question to you is, can you relate? When you were so miserable and so lost and so broken and you said to yourself, I can't do this anymore, I can't do this anymore, and you were able to stop, why did you pick up again? My guess is, is because of the mental obsession. On the, top, on the top of 25, we're going to read this whole page where it says there is a solution. So step one is the physical allergy, the mental obsession. We're going to review it a couple more times, but now we're going to be talking about step two and our program of action, which we're going to break it down right here. And it's going to sound overwhelming, and it is overwhelming, but I'm going to guide you through it, and whoever is sponsoring you is going to walk you through it, hold your hand, walk you through it, not do it for you, but support you along the way. There is a solution. That a solution we're talking about is the 12 steps. Almost none of us like the self-searching. That's the fourth step they're talking about. The leveling of our pride, which we do in our sixth through ninth step. The confession, which is our fifth step of our shortcomings, which this process requires for a successful consummation. So I just want to stop right here for a second. I personally feel it's really important to explain to you what we're going to ask you to do. I do not want to hire you for a job that you don't understand what it's going to entail. If I'm hiring you to be the cleanup person of Burger King, I want you to understand that you're going to have to clean the grease traps, clean the bathroom, clean the toilets, and wipe all the tables down every single night. And if you don't want to do that because you're grossed out by it or you're not going to be willing to do it, I need to know and you need to know so you don't waste time and I don't waste time, which is why at this moment I'm going to sit and explain to you what we're going to ask you to do tonight or today and what you're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks, couple of months, and then daily for what the rest of your life one day at a time. I like you to know it because I don't want there to be any surprises. I'm very transparent when I work the steps with people. And so what we're going to ask you to do is this. Tonight we're, or today or tonight, whatever time it is you're listening to this, we're identifying what the problem is. The physical allergy and mental obsession. When you put alcohol in your body, can you control it? That's the physical allergy. When you don't have alcohol in your body, do you want to pick up a drink again because you're mine? That's the mental obsession. That's the problem. The solution to the problem is step two, which is that there's something bigger than us that's going to help us to restore us to sanity. And all I like to explain for step two is we believe as sober recovered alcoholics that these steps, this program that we have to offer you is going to unblock you enough to get you to a higher power. I, I call that higher power God. If that word bothers you, we can call it something else. But the unblockage of those chambers is what's going to get us to that higher power. And my responsibility 
is to do the work necessary to unblock myself so God can reach me. And we're going to find out tonight or today that God is deep down within us or higher power is deep down within us. And it's just been blocked by our own stuff. And so step two is just saying we believe there's another way. Step three is a decision. Do you want to do the surgery to unblock yourself? Or do you want to die? If you want to do the surgery, this is what the surgery is going to entail. It's going to entail that when you go home today or tonight, you need to sit for 20 minutes and start on your fourth step, which is the first part of the inventory process. And we're going to explain to you how to do that. Your sponsor is going to tell you tonight or today how to do the fourth step. It's a list of all the crap in your life that's in your way. It's uncomfortable. It's not the worst part of the program by far. You'll hear people talking about it and make it really dramatic. It's not that big of a deal. It's just nauseating and exhausting. It takes a week if you do it the way that we are going to guide you out of this book. Then after that week is up, you and your sponsor are going to sit down. It's going to take a bunch of hours to plan like a whole entire day if you can, like a whole Saturday or whatever. And you're going to come to the person's house or meet somewhere that's safe and quiet and you're going to sit down and your sponsor is going to take you through your inventory and you're going to identify what you do consistently in your life with different people in your life that causes people to get mad at you or to hurt you and what you do in your resentments and your fear and your sex conduct and your harms and how you've done those things. We're going to identify a pattern. It's going to be really obvious after a couple of pages and you're going to start to feel embarrassed, not because you've done so many horrible things, but because you're upset about things that are really petty, which is basically what we are like. Then after that hour, I mean, after that inventory process is over and the fifth step with your sponsor and your higher power, you're going to do an hour, which is still the fifth step where you're going to sit with yourself and your higher power and go over what you just did and write or read or walk or breathe or meditate and have some real um, conscious thought process about what you did and are you ready to let go of that stuff. Then there's going to be these two steps called six and seven, which you'll get to later. They're amazing, and they're really about are you ready to change? And if you are, we go to our higher power, and we ask our higher power to give us the willingness to change. And then we use the principles from six and seven to live in 10, 11, and 12 about a life of change. Then we're going to take the four steps. So do not burn it. Do not throw it in the river or the ocean. Do not put it in the garbage compactor. You need that four step to make your eighth step. And all you're going to be doing is making a list of the people that you owe amends to. And in that list, you're going to identify who you owe amends to now, later, or never. And you and your sponsor are going to go over that list. You're not going to do it on your own. This is not a step you should do by yourself. And you're going to identify who you need to make amends to. So um, one of the other analogies I like to talk about is being trapped in a burning building. And the burning building is my alcoholism. And if I stay on the couch, I'm going to die an alcoholic death. And if I get off the couch and break through the door and pull all the stuff out of the hallway, I will be able to get to the ambulance and the firefighters will be able to get to me and I'll be able to breathe. My responsibility, my first major responsibility is to clear out the hallway of all my stuff that I've put in there, of my resentments, my selfishness, my dishonesty, my shame, my stories, my victim stuff. Me and my sponsor are going to pull it all out with my higher power. We're going to get willing to make amends to it in 8 and 9. She or he is going to give me very clear guidance about who to make amends to, when and how. And I'm gonna, and those amends are going to be like boxes that have been labeled by my sponsor and myself stacked up in that hallway. And my goal is to unblock myself completely of the hallway so it can be free and clear so me and my higher power can get complete connection and communication. And then, the, and then after we do those steps, um, step nine is going to take potentially years, we're going to, you're not going to wait until that's done. We're going to show you how to do a daily inventory prayer and meditation that's going to, to daily clean the hallway. So my responsibility is to daily take care of my hallway. When I drop something, I need to clean it up. Back to the analogy about my heart. 
after I've gone through the massive heart surgery and I go through recovery and I get strong again, I'm going to learn how to eat properly. I'm going to learn what vitamins and medicines I need to take and how I need to exercise. And that's going to be my daily program of action. So the reason why I'm telling you this is I want you to know what we're going to ask of you. So that big messy part in the hallway, four through nine, physically takes about one month to two months of like sit down work with your sponsor and then you're going to learn how to start going out and making amends. And while you're learning how to do that, we're going to show you how to do 10 and 11, which is going to just be 10 is a walking around step of four through nine, like a pocket knife step of inventorying when you get upset or afraid, finding out how you're being selfish and dishonest, working it through with your sponsor and your higher power and making amends where you need to change things. And then 11 is connecting with your higher power, which is why we need to keep that um, channel open. And then 12, which we will get to um, later, is carrying this message just to help somebody else. So the reason why I just laid that all out is I want you to know what you have to do. And if that sounds like too much, think it over stop, close the book and tell your sponsor you're not ready to do this. If you're like, you know what? It sounds exhausting and drastic, but I need something exhausting and drastic because I'm a mess. Um, if you don't know right now, you can say, I don't know yet. I'd like to keep going. So take a moment and make a decision if you want to keep going. Okay. I'm going to assume you want to keep going. So on 25, it says, we saw that it really worked in others. So that's me right, sitting right in front of you with clear eyes, with freedom, with purpose and direction. I have resentments. I have fear. I have financial insecurity. I have all that stuff like regular humans have. I mess up on a daily basis. I get irritable and resentful. Um, but at my core, I am free. I no longer am physically in need of alcohol or any other mind or mood altering substances. I no longer have a mind that tells me I need it. And I get to walk through life, um, free today. It says, and we have come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we have been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of the spiritual tools laid at our feet, which is what we're offering you with the big book. It says, we have found much of heaven and have been racketed into the fourth dimension, which is 10, 11, and 12 of existence of which we had not even dreamed. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which happened through the 12 steps, which have revolutionized, which just means changed, our whole attitude toward life and our fellow, toward our fellows, toward life and toward God's universe. The essential fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator, which is our power, has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He hasn't commenced, which means begin to accomplish those things for us, which we could never do by ourselves because we are powerless. The bottom paragraph is a game changer for me. So it's step one and step two is going to break it down right here. If you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, which means you have a physical allergy and a mental obsession, we, be we believe, which is the first 100 men and women, there is no middle of the road solution. So you can't do, oh, I'm just going to do a little bit of the steps. My opinion, this is not 12, this is not Alcoholics Anonymous, this is just Carly's opinion, is that you're either working the steps or you're not working the steps. That opinion is backed up by some serious information right here. We believe there's no middle of the road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we have but two alternatives. So we're, we pass through step one. We've got two choices. One, which is step one, is to go on to the bitter end blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. And the other is step two, to accept spiritual help. <clears throat> I'm always going to have two choices. Alcoholics Anonymous was written by a divine inspiration with God and the, the first 100 members. 
They knew who they were talking to, and none of us like to be told what to do. We like to be given options. As a sponsor, I like to give my sponsees options. So I'm giving you an option right now. You can go on to the bitter end, or you can accept spiritual help. We are going to flip to... So the next chapter, more about alcoholism, is all about the idea. So let's go to 30. We're not going to read it all. I don't want to go to a couple of them. We're going to be talking about the mental obsession. It's called the lie. So halfway through the first paragraph, it says, the idea that somehow someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession, which is in our mind, of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion, which is a lie, is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Underneath that, it says, we learned, which is in step one, that we had to fully concede, which means to give over, to admit, to to admit defeat, to our innermost selves, not to our sponsor, not to our mom, not to our dad, not to our spouse, not to our boss, to our innermost selves in the mirror, that we were alcoholics. And I ask you, have you done this? It says, the delusion that we are like other people, or presently it maybe has to be smashed. Um, we are going to flip through this chapter because I do not re- want to read them all just for time's sake, but there is, um, on the top of 35, one I'd like to highlight. The very top, it says, so we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking. So the thinking is my problem. The mind is the problem. Or for obviously this is the crux of the problem which means heart the problem is what happens before one of my sponsors says this great thing that i love that one of his sponsors told him that if you've ever heard in the rooms of alcoholics anonymous don't you know it's, it's the first drink that gets you just don't pick up the first drink or it's not the first drink it's the seventh drink just you know don't have so many drinks or it's the engine that kills you it's not it's the caboose no it's the caboose that kills you it's not the engine and he went to his sponsor and said i heard this great thing and he told him about the caboose and the engine and his sponsor said no you dummy it's not the first drink or the last drink it's not the caboose or the engine it's the thought in your mind that tells you the lie that it is okay to stand on a train track when a moving train is coming towards you. That's the problem. And that's called a mental obsession. We are going to flip to the end of More About Alcoholism. And we're going to go to the bottom of 43, the last paragraph. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being including the fellowship and your sponsor, can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. So now it's leading me into step two. We Agnostics, page 44. This is this is the make or break page right here. This is where I take every single alcoholic perspective, alcoholic, to if they don't know if they belong here. So if you don't know yet, this is the page you're going to know. You're going to either close your book here and move on, or you're going to keep going. It says, in the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic, and now they're going to do it. This distinction has an or in the middle of it, which means I don't have to be both of these. I only have to be one of them. So when I read this, think about that. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. So when you try to not drink on your own, you found you couldn't stay stopped completely. Did that happen to you? If it did, that is called the mental obsession. Or, if that didn't happen to you, when you drink, you have little control over the amount you take. That is from the physical allergy. When I put alcohol in my body, I can't control the amount I take. It doesn't say every time. It says when I drink. 
If I have one of those, I'm an alcoholic. If I have two of them, I'm an alcoholic. It says you are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. The only way I know how to offer someone a spiritual experience is the 12 steps. The next paragraph says, um, halfway down, to be doomed to an alcoholic death, which is step one, or to live on a spiritual basis, which is step two, are not always easy alternatives to face. The, the next page on 45, where it says lack of power, that was our dilemma. A dilemma means having to choose between two really unpleasant things. Not should I go to Miami or California for spring break. A dilemma is should I go to Alcoholics Anonymous and do this work or should I kill myself? Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live because I want to live. I'm, I'm existing. Life without living, death without dying. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how were you to find that power? And after that, where and how were you to, were you to find that power? I wrote the words page 55. And we're going to flip there right now. This is where we're going to find the power. I usually have my new person read this part because I find it to be super painful and uncomfortable and beautiful to read. But because you are not here, I'm going to read it to you. Actually, we are fooling ourselves. For deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscure, which means blocked, like my heart and like that hallway, by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things. But in some form or other, it is there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. We finally saw that faith in some kind of a God was a part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, which is something we might have to do. I had to. But he was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It was so with us. We can only clear the ground a bit. If our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, enables you to think honestly, encourages you to search diligently within yourself, then, if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway. With this attitude, you cannot fail. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. That's some serious promises. We are going to flip to page 60 to After How It Works, where it says Our Description. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter of the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. I'm going to turn these into questions I'm going to ask you. Do you think you're an alcoholic? Do you have a physical allergy or a mental obsession? That's a yes or a no. Do you think you can manage your own life? Yes or no. B, do you think that there is a human power that can relieve you of your alcoholism, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a sponsor, or a priest, or a rabbi, a mom, a dad, what's it going to be? If no one can relieve you of your alcoholism, that is step two. And C says, do you think that God or your higher power or whatever you want to call it can and will if you seek that out, if you do these steps? And if your answer is yes or maybe or I hope so, then you're on your way. I just want to backtrack for one second. Um, in We Agnostics, there's a page I want to get to. Oh, page 47 real quick. If you're struggling with the idea of God, and we are totally here to talk about that in, with a longer amount, which all of us have experience with. 
I just want to look at this one paragraph. We needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe that that's a yes or no? Or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that he does believe, which is an agnostic, or is even willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he's on his way. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, which is just willingness, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. And the easiest way I like to explain that is forget about God. Forget about a higher power. You don't have to have a relationship at this point. Do you believe that this program, these steps, that what we've done and what we're sharing with you could possibly work for you if you do it this way? could possibly lead you to something that you've never experienced a relationship with a higher power that can be enough to get you through the day. If you believe it's possible, even like the size of your freckle, you can move on. So let's go to the bottom of 60. It says being convinced. So being convinced of those three things, we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? The first requirement. So there's no longer suggestions. If you want to do the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's not, the only thing that's suggested in Alcoholics Anonymous is our program. Anyone's a member, if they say they want to be a member, you can only become recovered and, and get free if you do the steps. So our program is suggested to people who walk in the doors. But once you decide to do the program, there are requirements. And the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. So... The problem is self, how we act. Let's go to 62, where it says selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. So now they're getting into what our real problem is. That our problem is from ourselves, that we start it from our fears, from our self-delusion, from our self-pity. And it says on the bottom, we had to have God's help. We can't do this on our own. It says, this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in the drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is a principal. We are his agents. He is a father and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. On the top of 63, it's going to tell me my second favorite promise in the book, which says, when we sincerely took such a position, the position of giving our lives over to something bigger than us, all sorts of remarkable things follow. So they're they're giving me this promise, assuming I'm going to do 4 through 9 and then 10, 11, and 12. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So here's the deal. It's my sacred contract with my higher power. God is going to give me what I need, not what I want. All I have to do is stay close and do the do the work in front of me, which is the steps. That's it. We're going to look at the next paragraph and then we're going to be done. The next paragraph is step three. I suggest getting on your knees while we say this and holding hands and repeating after me so we can all do this together. The reason I like to get on my knees is not religious. It is um, a physical way I like to show my higher power that I am surrendering. I get on my knees in the morning. I get on my knees at night. And I get on my knees when I'm desperate and lost. So I'm desperate and lost right now. And I'm about to say the third step prayer, which is just basically me saying to my higher power, I'm willing to make a decision to do the next step. All step three is saying, I'm, I'm going to do the work, and I'm going to follow it up tonight with the work. So I'm going to repeat after repeat after me. We are now at step three. You don't have to repeat this part, part. We are now at step three. Many of us said to our maker as we understood him. So here's what we're going to repeat. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. 
Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Before we get off, I just want to say a few things. The bottom, 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 bottom paragraph on 63 does not say, now you get to go home and rest. You just did three steps in one hour. That's exhausting. Awesome job. Get a t-shirt and a cake. You're done. It says, next we launch out on a course of vigorous action. A rocket ship launches into the, into space. So we are going to launch, which is vigorous action, and it's the time frame is next. The first step of which is a personal house cleaning, top of 64, of which many of us had never attempted. Though our decision, which is step three, was vital, which is life and death and crucial, it could have little permanent effect unless at once, which means right now, followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us, that surgery and that hallway. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. So I'm still blocked off after from after that beautiful step I just did. I'm still blocked off. Step four, your sponsor is going to go over with you right now. She's going to give you the sheets, go over them with you. And tonight you have to go home and start writing, even if it's just 20 minutes. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting back on that couch in the burning building or in the waiting room with your fully blocked heart. Thank you for your time. I wish you peace.